this morning I'm meeting with Niels Veldhus. Did I pronounce that correctly? Veldhus. Veldhus, uh, who is a senior research economist at the Fraser Institute. That's right. Here in Vancouver. Uh, and Niels' special area of interest is fiscal studies and this Tax Freedom Day, which I believe was something the Fraser Institute uh, developed as a concept. That's right. That's exactly right. Could I ask you a little bit about uh, the history of the Fraser Institute and where this concept of Tax Freedom Day came from? Absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, every, every individual who works pays income tax, and they know how much income tax they pay. Uh, it's very easy to see that from year by year whether or not your income tax is going up. There's a host, however, of all these other taxes that, uh, that Canadian families pay, such as sales taxes, taxes on, on alcohol, taxes on tobacco, taxes on gas, uh, natural resource levies, uh, health care taxes that aren't as transparent as, say, income tax. So over the course of a year, the, the average Canadian family doesn't have a good gauge whether, to see whether or not the, to the total amount of taxes they pay are actually increasing or decreasing. So what we wanted to do was develop an easy way for an average family who's not really interested in getting down to all the little numbers to say, okay, my tax bill is going up this year, you know, and this is the reason I'm paying more gas tax or I'm paying more tobacco tax or I'm paying more uh, hospital taxes. So, so what we did was we, we started with uh, a model that Stats Canada uh, built and it has approximately 80,000 Canadian families. Maybe I should just interrupt. Stats Canada, of course, is the Canadian statistics Sorry, yeah. uh, agency. Uh, That's right. right. They, yeah. they collect all sorts of data from um, any sort of data from, from Canadians right. and, and uh, Canadian companies. So what, what they did was they developed a, a model to, to examine how much tax Canadians pay per year and all the different types of taxes. So what we do is we can say, okay, family X, uh, we can pick a family of these 80,000 families and say they pay this much income tax, they have this many kids, uh, they're married or not, they, they live in this province, um, they, they get a national child tax benefit. So we can see all the, the taxes they pay to the government and all the transfers that they get from the government. So what we do is we take all these 80,000 individuals and we we allocate or, or we examine how much each family pays of the total Canadian tax bill, right? So we, this family pays, let's say, 0.0002% of the total income tax bill. Then what we do is we take the new numbers that the, that the, the governments are budgeting. So the, the new numbers always come out for 2003. And so we allocate those new budget numbers to all these different Canadian families. So we can say, okay, well, family X in BC is going to pay you know, $45 of the total or, or a certain percentage of the total tax bill in 2003. Right. So then we have these 80,000 families that are a representation of Canadians and how much tax they're going to pay in, in the current year. Let's say that's 2003. Uh, we then take an average of all those families and we figure out, okay, well, what's the average income and what's the average tax bill? And, and for this year in Canada, the, the average income was somewhere around $70,000 uh, for a family with, that's greater or equal to two, uh, to two people, and the average tax bill is around 35000 So if you divide one by the other, the total taxes you're paying is 48%, so close to 50% when you, when you include all the different taxes. So what we do is, is 
course, you can tell people it's thirty-five thousand, and and your income seventy thousand. Uh, again, that's you know it's different for all families. So we take the ratio, the, the, how much tax uh, they pay over their income, and so that's fifty around fifty percent, and then we times it by three hundred sixty-five days a year, and that's how we get Tax Freedom Day. So Tax Freedom Day this year in Canada fell uh, on June twenty-eighth overall for Canada. Is Tax Freedom Day coming earlier or later? Say over the last five years. Well, that's a, a great question, actually. Tax Freedom Date, the latest date was in the year 2000. So it's been running up from 1961. I think in 1961 it was May 3rd. In the year 2000, it was uh, July 2nd for Canada. So we've seen this incredible run up in, in four Say that again, from May? For, from May from May 3rd right. in 1961 right. to July 2nd in the year 2000. Right. And 2000 was the peak. So we've seen this incredible run up Right. Uh, over over 40 years. And since 2000, we, we've seen a, a bit of a reduction, although a seesawing back and forth. Right. How does that compare with other countries? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, the problem with comparing other countries is you get into a methodology problem, which we have with the states. They, they calculate their tax freedom day um, based on, on aggregate numbers, so mm -hmm. they just take the total tax bill divided by the total amount of income, which is not as, let's say, um, Precise, or I don't want to say precise, but uh, they don't provide as many details as we provide. Uh -huh. So I've done the calculation using the U.S. methodology, and we're about 45 days later than the U.S. So theirs falls on April 19th. Ours, using their methodology, falls on about uh, the 4th of June. So quite a bit. If you take that back to 1961, right. we were five days later than the U.S. So in 40 years, we've managed to open up the gap by 40 days. Wow, which is yeah, quite quite incredible. Now, how do we compare with countries in Europe? Um, again, uh, it's it's too sure. difficult to compare okay. the methodologies between between right. Europe and, and Canada. But presumably, a country like Sweden would have an even later tax freedom date. That's right. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the total tax bill that that uh, Swedish people pay, it's much higher than Canadians. If you look at the amount the government spends as a percentage of our our income. In Canada, you're looking at about 38% or 39%. Uh, in the U.S., you're looking at 32%. In Sweden, I believe they're they're up and around 50%. So they're but, quite a bit. But that's interesting because the government spends 32% of the GNP, I guess, in the in the U.S. In the U.S., that's right. 38% in Canada. That's right. But the tax bill in Canada. It's, it's the is relatively much larger than this 32 to 38 ratio. Or is am I missing something? Well, the, the, the reason, and that's actually a great question. The reason um, that there's a discrepancy between the tax bill over GDP as an aggregate number is that we don't, or Canadians don't include all all incomes when they when they calculate, or, or when they say, if you ask a Canadian how much you how much is your income, they'll include wages and salaries. They'll most likely include some investment income, some interest income, maybe on Canadian bonds. What they won't include are things like retained earnings. Or future capital gains, right? And retained earnings obviously are factored into GNP, and they're not factored into Canadians' cash income, what we call it. Right. So that's the discrepancy. Now, how long have you been here at the Fraser Institute? Oh, I've been here coming on, or just over a year actually. Uh huh. And what what were you doing before? I was uh, teaching uh, university and college economics. Where at uh, at Simon Fraser and at Wallen. Quantlet. Oh yeah. Okay. And the Fraser Institute has been around for how many years? Well, the Fraser Institute started, I believe, in 1976. 1976, 1977. Mm -hmm. 
So, and uh, how did you uh, did they apply for uh, or did they were they looking for someone or how did you make the contact well, or the connection? Actually, there's a senior fellow by the name of Steve Easton who's a professor of economics at Simon Fraser University, and uh, he does he does work here quite regularly. And I've I've worked with him throughout my university quote unquote career, and. Um, he, he actually got me involved with the institute. He, he said that he knew my, you know, what I was interested in, and he said there was some, some jobs opening up, and, and uh, I should apply. And of course, I took his advice, and uh, I ended up here. Uh, a, a different question. Uh, there is a perception. At least some people realize that people with with uh, higher than average incomes pay most of the taxes. Yeah. I mean, some of the people try to suggest that all the wealthy people manage to get out of paying taxes, that's but the reality is that a very high percentage of the tax burden is paid for by a very small percentage of the population. That's right. So then why wouldn't the majority of people who are in fact getting the free ride, who are getting the goodies that, uh, that the wealthier are paying for, why wouldn't they politically want to keep on voting for governments that enable them to get money from the wealthy for programs that they benefit from? In other words, what is the political attractiveness of reducing taxes? Well, uh, again, great question. I, I think our goal, as, as at least the way I view our goal, is, is to teach people that if you reduce the role of government in their lives, people will make better decisions. They'll make better decisions about where they're going to put their money, what they're going to spend it on, where they're going to invest. There'll be increased uh, entrepreneurship, um, increased wealth creation, and in turn, when you have increased uh, investment and increased wealth creation, increased um, entrepreneurship, you get increased salaries because more capital increases people's productivity. So some people might say, you know, right now I've got my government-supported daycare, I've got my government-supported uh, whatever, you know, these programs, therefore I benefit. And, I'm, and, and if I'm somebody who is in a, a say, less-than-average uh, income bracket, then I'm not paying my share of those. Uh, people with more money are paying f for that on my behalf through their taxes. Gee, isn't that a good thing? I mean, you can see where people would think that. That's right, but I, I mean, the tax and transfer system of the government isn't one that just taxes the, the very wealthy people and gives it all to the very low-income people. Right. I mean, it, it takes from, of course, it takes the most from, from the wealthy, and it, but it also takes a big chunk from the average Canadian mm -hmm. and gives it back to the average Canadian. So right. taking money away and giving money to average Canadians, and in turn, what they're really doing is telling people how they should be spending their money. Right. Plus, they are. It's a, it's a major job creation activity for civil servants. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the size of the Canadian government is, is quite alarming. Right. And I guess there is a concern that 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 is not efficient. That rather than taking money away from someone to give it back to them, but filtering it through an inefficient bureaucracy, you're better off to leave the money with them. That's right, absolutely, they'll do it. They'll spend it much more efficiently, they'll invest it much more efficiently. Okay, well, that's been a very interesting discussion. I thank you very much. Not a problem, I appreciate it.